World Wide Web has long been host to copied and pasted stories of an apocryphal nature. These stories came to be known as Copyvasta, and then the creepy variant emerged. Welcome to Creepy Podsta, the Creepy Pasta Podcast. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Jeff, I host it, and we talk about those damned creepypastas that we all love so much. I don't love them. They're fine. I'm, you know, I'm of two minds about it. On one hand, I've been doing this show for 160 episodes over three years, and that is an achievement. On the other hand, who cares? Does anyone? (laughs) Uh, I, I mean, I know there's a bunch of people People listening, but am I doing some kind of port- important thinking in the world? Uh, uh, I guess also Merry Christmas, because this episode comes out on December 20th. Uh, I don't know. It's weird to think about having done so much of it. I feel like I've had some really, really good conversations, but then I've also just done episodes where it's like, eh, we talked about it a little bit. It does- doesn't really matter. Uh, uh, is just kind of like we stopped thinking about it almost immediately. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. It's a it's a trade-off. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk about sort of a, a deeper piece this week in between our, our triplets of guests. Uh, you'll have just heard three episodes with Heather Gordon. You'll about to see... Uh, blah, starting next week, you will hear another three episodes that will take us into the new year with Alex Capello. I don't know what I'm doing to break it up there. Uh, but we've, we're, we've got our third uh, video game that we're talking about. This is a free game made by Love Games. On, on, it's available on RPGMaker.net and on Itch.io. That's itch.io. Uh, and it is called Mouth Sweet. Uh, and with me to discuss this game is my Seeing Reddit co-host, past guest on this show, Matt Heron. Hi there. And uh, so this... First, I guess I want to do some sort of background structuring, and then we'll go through what happens in the game. Um, were you familiar, Matt, with any of this developer's other works? No, um, I'm actually I'm a big fan of RPG Maker games in general, and I think that they are a very interesting look into the, like... I feel like it, the Venn diagram of people who play games and people who make games, it, like, it gives you a good insight into those people who sort of fall on the bridge between those two groups, if you will. Um, And so I'm always on the lookout for new good uh, RPG maker games, but I had not heard of this one until you told me about it. Yeah, it's uh, the... RPG Maker is this whole interesting community. Uh, I think Undertale started out, maybe finished as an RPG Maker game. Um, uh, and that, that's probably the biggest one. But there's mm. also, like, there's other RPG horror games that have come out. Uh, Yume Nikki is, I think, the biggest one. Uh, that only just recently got a Steam release. That was one that kind of got traded around 
on like a, like fan translations of it got traded around on message boards in the early 2000s. Uh, came mm-hmm. out in two, 2004, so it was kind of that uh, 4chan was already around, but there wasn't Reddit or Twitter or any of these things. And this was a uh, this was a like sort of big deal I discovered uh, over the course of making this show. And I think in the same recommendation thread where I found out about Mouth Suite. Uh, that hmm. there was this game and it sort of spun off this whole subgenre of RPG Maker horror games. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because I feel like RPG Maker is very much in the in the style of old classic JRPGs, you know, the way that the interface works if you're making a game is basically you plunk in, you know, character sprites and then turn-based battle systems and everything. It's sort of in the, in the vein of a, you know, the Dragon Quest or Final Fantasy type game. And so the way that people manage to take that interface, which traditionally has been associated with these sort of larger-than-life uh, four-color fantasy things and invert that in a way that makes it evoke that same horror feeling is a really interesting challenge, I think. Yeah, yeah, the, it's essentially making like a, a walking simulator that looks like a Super Nintendo game, and <laughs> it, that's like a, a wild concept to think about, of just like, it. you can almost tell that uh, these people, their favorite part of playing Earthbound was walking around the town and talking to all the weirdos. Yeah, for sure. I, and it, I think that it's a lot of these kite. Uh, a lot of these kinds of games fall into the trap of trying to tell the horror story through dialogue, unfortunately, and I mm. don't think that that's, that's the strongest way to do it, and not to get ahead of ourselves, but one of the things I liked about the way that Mouth Suite tackled it is that the dialogue, and even the visuals, aren't the scariest part of the game. I mean, scary is not really the right word, but, you know, amping up the tension as you play. Uh, the soundtrack is doing a lot of work, and also, like you say, that sort of walking simulator anticipation of like when is something going to happen yeah uh, so let's, I think that's sort of enough, uh, scaffolding to, to build, uh, that mm-hmm. people will know. Uh, I guess there's one other thing I wanted to mention is the, uh, website says this game is available for Windows and Linux, but it is only available for Windows. You can install mm-hmm. it on the Itch.io, la- uh, app if you have Linux. And if you try to launch it, it just says you, you can't. It doesn't work. <laughs> uh, I was, I have a virtual, I have virtual box installed on my laptop and I figure it's a pretty low intensity game. So I just ran it through there and it was fine. Yeah. I know that, uh, RPG maker in general has had some really bad compatibility issues. Like they have this weird thing where when you export a game that you've made, it come, you can generate a file that allows it to run on a computer that doesn't have RPG maker installed on it already. But that file theoretically should work on Linux or Mac iOS operating systems, but it usually doesn't, so I'm not that surprised. Yeah, the game exported, I guess, just as an EXE called, like, RT.EXE with a bunch right. of sub-files. And, and, I mean, it's fine. I don't uh, have a desperate need to be able to play games on my computer, but I just wanted to forewarn if, in case anyone in our audience has a different kind of machine, this will only run on Windows. Uh, yeah. Although, uh, you can get 
a, some software called Easy RPG Player that will play RPG Maker games, but I don't have any uh, background in that. I don't really know how that works or like what hmm. you need to dump into it to make it work. So uh, I should anyway. look into that. I, I have a big collection of RPG Maker games, and other than the ones that have been exported to Steam, like uh, what is it to the moon? Those kinds of games are very right. good, but uh, I like that interface. And then when I download the ones that are not quite as polished, it sometimes is a real struggle to get them, and the controls are bad, so... Sorry, I have to step away. Someone's knocking on the door. Okay. Geez, sorry about that. My neighbor came over and needed uh, some packages that were delivered to our house. Uh, and that happened exactly as we started recording. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Let me write down in my notes the time when we stopped. And then I will have you start the um, synopsis of what happens. It's like 8.30 to, let's say, 17.15. Okay. I'll just come in right now. Okay. So, Matt, why don't you walk us through the experience of playing Mouth Sweet? Sure, yeah. So, um, the game starts with a character generation type of interface, I guess, where you pick the character that you're playing. Um, and there's, I guess, eight options that are a little colorful, uh, varied sprites uh, of various descriptions. One looks like a banana. That's the one I chose. Um, oh, wow. I think I think I had... Uh, I mean, there must. there's probably more. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I had... They were all rabbit people, and they had, like, one of two or three different heads. Yeah, the one I had was a rabbit person, but he was sort of bent over like a banana and wearing a green suit and had goggles on. Oh, fun. Uh, so anyway, the I guess the uh, point of this screen is that you get to personally customize your colorful and interesting little character, and then as soon as you do, uh, that character is transformed into a sort of sepia tone uh, character that looks identical to all of the other ones, which is the your introduction to the game's theme, uh, which is uh, it will rob you of your uh, individuality which is part of the disclaimer that comes up every time you start the game. Yeah, I think I think that was uh it was like a slightly tongue in cheek disclaimer, but uh, I think uh, uh it could also be, you know, pretty troubling. Um because yeah. because it's well, it's preceded by the actual like an actual disclaimer for violent content. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because it says violent content against animals, and there's violent content against the characters in the game who I guess are animals because they all look like rabbit people a little bit, but yeah. I, I wasn't necessarily expecting, uh, for instance, I don't know, I guess there's going to be lots of spoilers in here. Yeah, so. the whole thing's going to be spoilers. This game is <laughs> this game is free. You can get it at lovegames.itch.io uh, yeah. slash mouth sweet, but also you can just click on it at the URL, I gave it's free it takes like an hour or two to play depending on how bad you are at it it took me longer because i was very bad at the combat (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I, I have questions to ask you about that then. Um, but yeah. before we get into that, um, so there's a part, uh, maybe a third of the way into the game where, uh, one of the characters who is sort of your tutorial leader character, uh, her head explodes in front of you. And it's pretty, it's, a, it's more graphic than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of gruesome. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. uh, anyway, I'm getting way ahead of, of myself. So you, you create your character and then they're transformed into this sort of cookie cutter. Uh, and then you're told you're starting your unpaid internship at this company and um, it's your first day and then you get plopped into a cubicle where this character Valerie, who's the tutorial character, uh, gives you a PDA and says that basically the point of the game is you will get messages on your PDA and you have to do the missions that you're given. And then the first one comes through, which is to bring a, a sandwich to the CEO. And um, the real gameplay doesn't start until you start walking through the halls, uh, at which point a character warns you that there are invisible monsters roaming the halls that will kill you, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is the, the gameplay part that Jeff was talking about. The combat mechanic is you have to listen for the monsters and then shoot them with your gun. Yeah, At, at any point, you can go from the RPG overview to a Doom-esque combat mode by hitting the shift key, uh, but... Um you only want to do this when you hear extra footsteps in the overworld mode and then you have to use stereo audio to track those footsteps in the combat mode and shoot blindly. Uh, so so did you get killed by the monsters at any point? Yes, several times. Be first because huh. I was playing without headphones and then mm. later because uh, I guess my headphones just aren't very good or I didn't have the uh. volume all the way up or something. I guess my headphones are very good because like I, for a while I was shooting the monsters and I, I kept on just getting them on my first shot and then just walking on and then I was like, I wonder what happens if I don't and I like just kept walking and never brought up the first person shoot thing and it they never got to me. So I didn't know if like, I don't know, I thought maybe that could be a trick of the game that <laughs> there's not, not yeah. actually a chance that the monsters will eat you, but I guess I just got lucky. I thought so too, but uh, you do occasionally get a pop-up that says you felt something invisible brush past you and then mm, i did if, get that yeah okay if you don't go into combat and kill a monster very soon after that you just get a, a little sort of cutscene and a game over screen hmm, interesting okay and the game over I screen think... shows like a severed hand or something but it's very very uh pixelated so you can, it's sort of spooky in that way yeah there's a few of those in the game there's the part where you pull the bird's legs off and it's sort of uh yeah it's a very mild jump scare, I guess, but it's so <laughs> pixelated and, like, you know, the sepia tone washed outness of it makes it so that it's not as awful as it could have been. Yeah, I think that bird was an illustration, um, mm -hmm. like, they just made that with graphics, but the, um, the game over screen is, like, p digitized photographs. I think the gun is, too. I have, mm. like, a, a gif of the combat here going into the, uh, like, on the website and when the gun has its kickback, it looks like it's just like a photograph of a gun that's been down downgraded. Interesting. Yeah, I was very impressed with the graphics in that first-person shooter mode. I think they uh, they did a very good job of making it, like you say, it's Doom style in that it's very simplistic, but it, obviously the graphics are much better than Doom. And the way that the invisible monsters just flash for a second when you shoot them, I think, is, is a good level of spookiness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially later when you get the monsters that take two hits to kill, because 
because oh, one, yeah. those are scarier, and two, <laughs> you'll hear their footsteps moving around after, like after you fire on them the first time, but before you can fire again. So you're like, yes. oh no, are they moving away? <laughs> yeah, and then when they flash, their faces are closer to you, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, the overarching theme of the game is really just about you continually completing these missions that get more and more bizarre. Um, and the CEO is this sort of vague, threatening presence that is shrouded in shadow the whole time. Um, and as you go through the game, you, uh, you meet, I guess the other main character is, um, uh, what is her, his, her name? The robot that's the HR yeah. consultant? Uh, I can't remember remember either. It's a weird name. Oh, Honoré. Oh, yes. R. Honoré. Yes. Um, and Honoré encourages you to, I guess, self-actualize a little bit, and you can <laughs> yeah. choose to or not. Uh, something interesting that happened to me, my first playthrough of the game, I actually finished the game in about uh, 25 minutes or so, because I was walking through on my second mission to bring the sandwich to Valerie, and uh, I walked past, there was a door that said exit and i was like well this place sucks so i went out the exit and yeah you i win the game <laughs> like if you don't uh if you don't because later on in the game if you skip that exit people mention to you like oh you had your chance to leave and you didn't but i just accidentally did <laughs> and uh yeah it really does end the game much earlier that's really weird because i went out the exits and just kept getting up to the car that i didn't have a key to oh and yeah i had i had gotten the key already out of one of the filing cabinets. I guess that's sort of randomly generated which filing cabinet it's in. Yeah, I think so. I didn't even start looking for uh, the key until after you meet Honoré in the bathroom, and mm. then I didn't see it until the actual end of the game when it's just sitting on the floor. I think at some point I stopped looking for it because I'm like, okay, it wasn't in the next, like, three or four segments of hallway I walked through. I guess it's gonna show up later. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I am such a nerd for RPGs that one of the things that I compulsively do is every time I see that something is searchable, I search every one of it for the whole rest of the game. So mm. once I found one thing in a filing cabinet, like, there's a very subtle black outline around everything that you can interact with in this game. So right. I just ended up searching every, everything that I could find. Huh. Yeah, that's cool. I, I thought that the exits were just going to be teases, but no, they're, there so much of the time and yeah you can interact with them that's cool yeah um, and it was very weird because like I said this was the first time I played through and I hadn't met Honoré yet so I didn't know whose car I was stealing and then there's like <laughs> a speech from Honoré about like you did a good job and like you worked here for years and you know Valerie didn't know what was in that sandwich and stuff and I was like what the hell is that what is any of this oh it's so not I even an to... alternate ending that's so weird yeah so I uh so I had to play through it again before I understood. I genuinely thought that those were all like sort of, you know, word babble to, to make you more confused, but it did mean something after I'd played through the rest of the game. That's interesting. I feel like there should be a, a special ending there. Like, hey, you got out early, good job, or something. Yeah, maybe. Although that's kind of counter to the point of the game, because if, mm. <laughs> if you... I mean, I think the message that's being conveyed really boils down to um, if you get a job in corporate culture, you will feel pressure to continually sacrifice your personal individuality to maintain your job, but you don't have to, and you shouldn't if it's killing you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is, um, like, 
that's definitely the takeaway. It's yeah. just uh, interesting that they would give you the ability to... Well, I mean, I guess that's why I stopped looking for the key in the cabinets, because I did... Every time I saw the exit, I went out and checked to see if something was different, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it never was, so... Mm-hmm. It's so strange. Yeah. Um, I, I actually think that one of the things that I, I that this game made me think about is how common of a theme in indie games this is, the idea of um, being forced to follow orders that are dehumanizing and uh, yeah. like becoming a part of the machine. I mean, I think probably that genre reached its apex with Portal. Um, oh, true. I didn't even think about when you were describing the genre, I was thinking uh, for game conventions, Undertale does that, and for mm-hmm. an, a political message, Papers, Please does that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that, you, you know, there's tons of them. There's that, like, uh, Open Your Eyes, that game where you're oh, like a, right. a robot and you're fighting flesh bodies and stuff and that's very scary but a lot of I, and I guess people started really playing with that concept with stuff like Bioshock way back where it was like you know uh, following the orders that are, you're given as the game structure is actually a part of the narrative you know yeah yeah it's it's so interesting that uh because this didn't remind me immediately of Portal or Bioshock and only reminded me of Undertale because it's an indie game that sort of plays with RPGs. Right. Uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah, I think my favorite part of the game came when uh, you find the bathroom full of, uh, like, rebels, all the employees that are uh, stockpiling weapons to try to kill the CEO. Did yeah. you get to that part? Yes. I, yeah. well, I, play, I played through the whole thing. Okay. I just didn't know. I, I'm still not 100% clear on how much of the game is mandatory. <laughs> like, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I went in every door that I could go in. There's a section towards the end where I did not explore every leg of the maze. I was just trying to find my way out because the combat was so difficult for me. Yeah, uh, I found that, I found the maze part to be a little heavy-handed. Um, I, I appreciate what they were going for and I really liked how the early game, the subtlety of the horror where the, the building that you're in starts getting more and more uh, gross, I guess. Yeah, um, occasionally but, like the room, the hallways are flipped over and you're walking on the ceiling and nobody mentions this. Yeah, and there's like the part where you travel back in time to stick a sticker to your own leg as a baby, which is very weird. (laughs) I don't know what Um, that was about at all. No, yeah, I don't really either, um, which maybe that's like a missed message on behalf of the game, or maybe they were just trying to be weird, in which case they really, they nailed it, but um, I really like that subtle sort of degradation. I mean, what I was feeling at that moment was that the dehumanization of your surroundings mirrored the dehumanization of you who has sacrificed your humanity to become a part of this corporate culture, and then that culture is breaking down, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, it's the when it, when they're just like ah, guts everywhere and the music is all screaming. It was unsettling, but I was yeah. like, I'm ready to be done with the game. Yeah, exactly. It didn't feel like it connected over. Like I wanted it to be. I feel like there needed to be some kind of connective tissue between the two because you can't really go from slimier and slimier office building to suddenly intestines and screaming. Yeah, although there is a a one in-between segment where everything is like cake and candy. Oh, yes, with the bugs stuck in the cake. That was really gross, but I like that, yeah. I, I... 
is that's right after the CEO says, don't think negative thoughts anymore, I think, right? Yes, yes. Uh, he says, don't think ne- negative thoughts. Uh, and he lists some of the thoughts you're thinking, ending with, uh, oh, geez, I'm playing another indie game about how life is hard and you're actually in purgatory the whole time. <laughs> and I thought yes. that was a, a fun way to address what is probably uh, common interpretation. <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate that awareness of the fact that this game isn't necessarily blazing new trails, but it is uh, rehashing it in an interesting and novel way. So I appreciated that they were acknowledging that they weren't trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Also something um, nice is... Uh, sorry, I just like choked on my own spit. That's why that sentence <laughs> kind of came out in the torrent there. Uh, it, it, it has a different aesthetic than I, uh, expect one of these games to have. Everything being gray, uh, makes it feel more like a Game Boy game than anything else. Yeah, I read that in a lot of the articles about it after I played it, uh, that they thought that it was supposed to be evoking Game Boy and, like, the Game Boy Advance days. And I think that's interesting because that feels like... This game is very much a product of the, like, millennial mind, I think. Yeah. And the fact that there's that, like, youth nostalgia for the Game Boy Advance, which didn't come out till I was, like, 15 or whatever, but for folks who are younger than me, like yourself, I think that that's part of that touchstone as well. And I uh, thought that I'm, was interesting. Yeah, yeah I, it's not quite the old Game Boy uh, palette, but yeah, that Game Boy Advance uh, thing, I didn't make that connection. But yes, I definitely have Game Boy Advance nostalgia. I am so excited for upcoming games coming out by professional developers around my age who also have Game Boy Advance nostalgia. Yeah, and I think that that's this game all over. I mean, it's a it's a much simplified version of like a full game, but uh, when I was playing it, obviously the color palette isn't necessarily Game Boy Advance, but the, you know, the resolution and the, the graphics quality made me feel like I was playing a Game Boy Advance game. Yeah, that car very very much looks like Wario's car from Wario Land 4. <laughs> yes, uh, that's true. The gun, yeah, the gun thing is also that is there was a, they actually did a, a version they did a if someone a company ported Doom to the Game Boy Advance and it like got a commercial release and it's very very bad. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. Well, Doom isn't a great game. I mean, it was for its time, but... I mean, like, running at 10 FPS bad, rather than it is just not a good game. <laughs> oh, okay, well... <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did a bad job porting it. Um, yes. So, uh, right, I, there was one thing I wanted to bring up about the sort of randomization about some of the aspects of the game, which is, mm-hmm. in the beginning, you're asked to type in your name, and then they're like, no, no, your real name, and you yes. get a chance again, and... Um, I typed in my name as Jeff, and it was like, no, okay, no, uh, your legal name is Haas. That's what we, we'll call you Jeff if you want, Haas. Uh, and sort of uh, playing with that a little bit, and that huh. was very interesting. Um, but then I went and restarted and tried again, and I typed in Haas as the name, and it was like, okay, you're Alice. Um, That's very weird, because I got Alice both times I played, and every screenshot I've seen has been Alice, so I wonder how you got Haas. 
yeah, I don't know. Maybe it processed Jeff as a feminine name, so it gave me a masculine name. That's um, very weird. Yeah, I put in my name, Matt, and I also tried Alex, and I got Alice, and then the next time I was like, let me try something further away, because I didn't know if it was connected or not, but right. I got Alice every time. Uh, I'm looking at an article now, and it says uh, that it depends on the sprite you chose at the beginning, whether you get Haas or Alice. Oh, okay. Interesting. I chose once, I, I chose the sprite I thought was the coolest, and then the next time I chose a different one, and my revised character looked different. Different. It like oh. switch. It switched the head to the other head style. Yeah. Apparently, uh, the sprites you choose at the beginning. It doesn't matter which one you choose, other than the gender of the sprite determines whether your final character has a male or female head uh, and a yeah. male or female <laughs> name. I, I guess so. The um, the uh, sprites all looked gender neutral to me, but yeah, I suppose. Yes, it, I agree. It, it felt very Undertale in that where the main character just sort of has like neck neck to shoulder length hair and no other defining features yeah i guess i mean this article that i'm reading says gender but i i agree with you that i got the idea as i was playing it that none of the characters really felt particularly gendered yeah yeah i guess that's also that also might be a reason why they are animals instead of just plain humans to even further be like uh separate um because genuinely if you're if you were choosing a person you were like oh this is a cute girl and then you type in your name and it's like no your name is Haas, uh, that would be upsetting for someone who is perhaps misgendered in their real life. Uh, And I think that it's something that is almost definitely better to address in a detached way, even though they are using very much the same language. Yeah, I agree. I think it's very smart about that because it does... The whole beginning sequence of the game is really about, like, robbing you of your individual identity and I think there are ways that you could do that that would be upsetting, but I think it's handled well here and, like you say, it has that one level of detachment that makes it not feel personal. Yeah. Uh, so, you get out of the game, um, we, you get to the end, and you get the key to Honoré's car, and then you drive it away, and she's like, I have to get it back to get other people to escape, but I... Uh, it's interesting to me. I don't know what Honoré means in the scheme of things. Um, yes. This character was designed to be an empathy bot um, and seems to have developed empathy accidentally. And I don't know if this is trying to say something about Google. Huh. I I did not feel that that was the message at all, but I, I definitely see where you're coming from. For me, when I read through it, it made me think of like people who end up being HR directors in companies, how mm. they are, uh, you know, they're corporate executives, but they are theoretically being paid to listen to the employees. And so they have sort of divided loyalties and no matter which way they go, they're, they're disappointing one of their constituents. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it seems like like a very specific choice to make Honoré a robot, and I'm wondering if that is in some way a uh, an intended piece of commentary, or if I'm just reading into it a little too deeply because there's so much other imagery in the game that it feels like the type of thing I want to pick apart. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, there's the there's the part at the end after the credits where the the game maker, in theory, is talking to. I mean, I don't know anything about the person who made this game, so I don't know how true this 
services, but they, they mentioned that they built this game because of uh, suicidal thoughts after being let go from an internship, and that's very sad, obviously, but I wonder how much of that informed the decisions in the, the game-making, you know? I can I can just imagine somebody who was going through that process being coached out of their position by a corporate HR representative who was an empathetic touchstone as they were mm. going through that process and being like, this person seems to be on my side, but they're still a part of the machine that is like killing me. That's, you know, yeah. where, where do they fall on the spectrum of, of friend or foe, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely something that you can you can pick at for a while. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wh- another thing I'm interested in is what does the name of the game mean? Uh, yeah, I, I, I see on the page on the main page there's a little ca- a little phrase "mouth sweet, belly bitter," mm-hmm. and I don't see that I've googled that phrase in quotes, and it appears on two pages for this video game and on someone's blog in the sentence, his words are more faithful than the promises of a dying age, and his bread more lasting than the mouth-sweet, belly-bitter feasts of this world. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, I've never... I've never heard that idiom before, but I can d- d- figure out what it means from context clues, and that makes sense with this game, I think. Yeah, having read the the um, this a little, I guess this is like a Bible quote. Yeah, this is some sort of like faith based blog that this phrase mm. appears on here. Uh, mm-hmm. it, all, it definitely seems like some kind of uh, Bible thing. It's, yeah. it's it's that sort of viscerally meaningful, but you don't really hear it that often anymore type of thing. Yeah, and I think it's good that it uh, presents this idea of there being some kind of attractive quality to working in an office job because one of the things that I think is a is a failure of this genre of game, and this one as well, um, but I mean, I, I don't think this is a bad game. I actually quite enjoyed it, but one of the things that I find frustrating about this is that a lot of these kinds of games that deal with corporate culture, you know, like the Stanley Parable and all of these kinds of games are very much centered around the idea of like, if you work at a corporation, then you're just a cog and it's just grinding you down and like capitalism is chewing you up and spitting you out. And like, I see how that's a point of view, but I personally work in a in an office for a corporation and like, it's not like that all the time. <laughs> you just, I feel like a lot of people are afraid to get into uh, a, a, you know, office setting because of things like this, but it's not like that. Like, the people that you work with usually aren't drones, they're actual human beings who have their own feelings and everything. So, I guess this is just my message to your listeners. Like, it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, some no, I... Get it, out of working for a company. You can make friends and, and obviously make money, so that's good. Yeah, I, I think the, the job security of it, or it's, it's something uh, the, that phrase says to me, like, it's good at first, it seems like it's going to be great, but the more you eat, the worse you feel. Uh, which is is yeah. is the aspect it's trying to drive home, even if that isn't necessarily true for every job. Yeah, I think it's I, I think that it's partially like you know, mouth sweet, belly bitter to me means that you can enjoy it momentarily, but the longer lasting repercussions yeah. of it is harmful, and that may be true. I mean, even any job that you work where you aren't doing something that you love that's expressive or whatever, I think you're wasting your life minutes to some extent by doing 
doing it, but you know, that's just, I think that, I think that there's, a, there's a middle point between the bohemian ideal of like, I'm going to starve to death making my art and I'm going to become a robot that only earns money and dies <laughs> it, it alone and no one finds my yeah. corpse for six yeah, days. Yeah, and uh, it's weird because this game <laughs> deals with the sort of uh, drudgery and exuberance of that very directly in most of it. But then there's the one scene where the uh, that I guess is a metaphor for unionization uh, that we brought up earlier. There's a bunch of employees <laughs> in a closet who are like, we're arming up, we're gonna go kill the CEO uh, and then, then when you're going back to your office yes. after meeting them, you can't go in that room, and it's covered in blood, and the uh, message on the screen says, something heavy is blocking the door, something heavy and wet. Uh, and then the CEO later mentions that he killed all of them. Yep. I was wondering, this is <laughs> this is a sort of a nitpick, but I was wondering how you could tell that the thing on the other side of that yeah. door is wet. Well, I mean, I guess because if you're trying to open the door <laughs> and you hear squish I suppose. Yeah, I guess that's as good as a, an explanation as anything. It's just usually I associate wetness with like you yeah. touching it directly. And so the idea of it being like, mm, there's something on the other side of this door and I bet it's wet. is just a weird way to. The door is also the world, soaked through, like you can see the blood, but uh, the, the where the blood is doesn't correlate to me with something blocking the door. So I think it's just kind of an odd turn of phrase. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing, and I, I really liked how the first time you go through that room and you hear all of these rabbit people that you'd previously seen working at desks and sort of, you know, saying passionless dialogue, um, were gathering together and getting these guns so that they could overthrow the CEO. And I think that that was a cool thing, because yeah. it sort of gives you hope that these, these rabbit people are going to break out of this, and then you come back after visiting the CEO and, like, or wherever you went to. And uh, the door is, like you say, bloody and everything. And it's, it, it does a good job of uh, not letting you get numb to the terribleness yeah. of this this world you're in by dangling this, like, ooh, maybe things will get better. Oh, uh, one people. thing no, was interesting. It, when you first go into the office with all the other coworkers, you just reminded me uh, when you mentioned that scene mm -hmm. briefly. Uh, you encounter a character who, like, all, very, almost, like, kind of very explicitly states the one of the themes. Um, this character says, I'm not a man, but everyone calls me he, and I have to dress like one, uh, and I don't understand why. Oh, well. And has just sort of, like, resigned themselves to, like, yes. oh, I guess I have to dress like a guy for this job? That seems like a weird requirement. Um, and I think that is a good way to put it for um, people like you and I who are the same gender that we're all, we've always been perceived as. Uh, and like, it's, it's a really good yeah. way to put it rather than because if you push someone on it who's like well those people are just different it's like they're not you're telling someone who isn't something that they have to be right. that way in order to make you more comfortable 
Yeah, I I feel like that's sort of a, an interesting thing because especially with bigger companies that you can work for, they have this weird attachment to traditional values that aren't related to the company. Like I know that there are companies out there. I've worked for companies where even non like non customer facing positions you can't have visible tattoos, and it's yeah. like, well, why? Who cares? You know? Um, and obviously that's a much scaled down version of this, you know, gender identity issue. But I think that that's interesting that this sort of calls out corporate culture on that. The idea of like, you are forcing everyone to fit into these traditional molds and no one ever sees the outside. So it doesn't matter other than the fact that you, the corporation, want everyone to be like... Yeah, exactly. And then, like, if anyone actually pushed them on it, they'd have to fire them, because otherwise you'd have a gender discrimination lawsuit on your hands. Uh, You'd have to find some reason to, you know, just get rid of them, or say for no reason. Because if you had someone who is a man and was like, I want to wear a dress to work today, most offices would say, you can't do that. But if they said, men can't do this thing that women in the office are allowed to do, that's explicitly against the law. But it happens in pretty much every company. Yes. I will say that there are companies that are open-minded enough. I, for instance, I have a friend who uh, is transitioning to be a woman and she uh, started wearing dresses to work and there was some, like, hubbub around her company but she said that the HR representative stepped up and said, no, this is her right and she is who she wants to be and no one should make any comments about it. So, I do appreciate that for all that we want to say, all <laughs> corporations are big faceless monoliths I think that there are lots of good people out there working in corporate culture who are trying to do it and I suppose that's who Honoré represents uh, in the game yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's I I applaud this game for including a character like that because a lot of games like this I think would have a very black and white view of either you work for the um, company or uh, I was just it. reading through this indie overlook article we've been referencing and they mentioned a bug that I actually encountered once where you go through a door one time and it never loads the room. Uh, this happened to me once, mm, but you could fill up at the menu and quit. Uh, but I had just saved, luckily, or uh, and it was like early on in the game, so it wasn't a problem. But I can imagine that being pretty frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I'm surprised how well this game works, because I'm pretty sure it was developed by one person. It was just on the developer's Twitter, and they mentioned being a one-person development studio. Mm. Well, I think that's cool. I think that this game uh, does a good job of focus Mm. on the thing that it's trying to do, because the thing that I think a lot of games fall into that end up making them run badly is that they are trying to do eight different things. And, you know, this show, this game really shows that you don't need to worry too much about having complicated graphics or complicated mechanics or anything in order to make a good game, as long as you have a good kernel of an idea and focus on. Yeah, I I really like. I think that that's an especially interesting thing in horror, uh, and the the horror idea that mm. this um, goes into it it uh, you know really digs deep. And there's I, I was just thinking about uh, Junji Ito, who is a uh, famous manga artist from Japan. We've covered one of his stories on the show, and I've talked about them before. But he he has two big works. 
Uh, one is called Uzumaki, and it is about a mm-hmm. town that becomes obsessed with spirals in various different forms that eventually Ooh. become supernatural in nature. Uh, and there's like this idea that the spiral is drawing you in. Uh, and he just, like, this thing is like a three inch thick tome all together. And he just explores that idea in every permutation in ways that are horrifying, in ways that are gross, in ways that are funny. Um, and the other one is about, uh, dead fish that, uh, get robot legs and start uh, terrorizing the land, the land people. And he, that one's called Gyo, uh, which I think uh, just means fish or like a uh, bad smell or something like that. Uh, the Japanese name translates to like rotting fish mm. smell or something. Um, it's or mm. it's the the death stench creeps. I think is the subtitle of Gyo. Uh, it, yeah, it is very good. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> it's yeah. Gyo, Gyo just means fish. Uh, but yeah, yeah he just fully explores this idea of what if there was robot legs that turned corpses into these horrible machines. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, those, I mean, I have not read those, but the the way you describe them makes me think of something I had heard once before, that uh, any premise explored deeply enough becomes horror, and then if you continue exploring it even yeah. more deeply, it becomes comedy. Like, if, if you take some kind of concept and flesh it out and flesh it out, you eventually get to a point where it feels grotesque, and then that grotesqueness eventually becomes ridiculous, and then it, it yeah, becomes something funny. One thing so. I liked about mouth sweet is that there was plenty of very dark comedy in it um like it is sort of funny that those Mm. people all get killed by the ceo as you're coming back like it has the pacing of a joke and uh there's definitely a relationship between horror and comedy in that they are so much about the way something is paced and surprising an audience yeah, I uh, have you ever watched the YouTube series by Polygon that talks about how horror uh, games and movies sort of affect people no, but psychologically? I, I probably should. I should be more scholarly about my my horror research. But yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's they're uniquely the two genres that can cause an audience to have a reaction that they don't want to have. Yeah, so I don't want to get too into it because I certainly don't want to steal the premise from these videos, which are very good and I highly recommend. I'm looking up the name of them now because I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, uh, yeah, I highly recommend people check these videos out. But one of them is about the concept of body fiction, um, which is, as you say, uh, things like humor and uh, horror and pornography are these uh, genres that that rely on you, the consumer of the thing, to empathize and enough with the primary protagonist that you Mm. feel the things that they are feeling, as opposed to stuff like dramas where you, an external observer, like, intellectually process the drama, but, like, you're not taking on the role of any specific character to experience that drama, but for body uh, fiction, you you do feel the thing that your character is feeling, and I think that's a really interesting um... Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, with you a movie can make you feel sad but it's not like a movie will make you spontaneously cry <laughs> 
all of the sudden out of nowhere, but it could make you it could make you scream or laugh. Right. Yeah, and and like the way that it gets you to that point is by putting you so much in the role of the person that ha- things are happening to, especially horror. You know, you see somebody get stabbed and you scream and it's not like obviously you're not feeling like you were stabbed, but you have empathized so much with that character yeah. that you can't. Yeah, stop, I think you know? that part of the reason why I have trouble with horror video games is that it's put me too much in the role of the character. Um, with a horror movie, it, it almost yes. feels like a paternal role, where it's like, I don't want these teens to get followed by the It Follows monster. I want them to survive because I think they're cool, and mm-hmm. I can see the monster, but they can't, and if only I could reach into the screen and, sell, and tell them. Uh, whereas with horror, it's <laughs> like, I'm walking around this derelict spaceship, and I don't want me to be killed by the xenomorph. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, and it makes horror such a different experience in gaming than it does in, like, passive stuff like movies and books, where you are deciding the fate, and you and that creates such a deeper connection between you and the character, to the point where, you know, when you're playing it, you're like, oh my god, I got killed by the alien, not my character, Jimmy, or whatever, got killed by the alien. So, I think that that's cool, and that's why I think horror is so at home in gaming, in a way that a lot of other genres really haven't found a good, solid foot or anything. Do we have any final thoughts on Mouth Sweep before we move on to our spookiest parts? Um, I would say the only thing that I wanted to touch on is the fact that part of this game, as I said at the end, it deals with, uh, with thoughts, dark thoughts about suicide and things like that. And I want to make sure that everyone knows that if you, there are hotlines to call if anyone is having these thoughts. I know, especially in the modern world with, with work stuff that, uh, it can get very difficult trying to find your place. So just want to make sure that everyone knows that there's help out there and, and we're cool. happy to help Thank if anyone, if that. we can. Uh, yeah, I spent um, 20, t- August 2012 until April 2017 at a job that absolutely like crushed my skull. Soul, my skull, man. If only uh, it mm-hmm. <laughs> totally crushed my uh, soul, and I hated it. And I just did it because I needed something for money. And uh, during that time, I started this podcast and seeing Reddit as sort of outlets. And mm-hmm. now, uh, having been out of that job for two years and about to enter into an actually fulfilling career, has sort of reinvigorated me. Uh, there's, there's, there's ways. There's there's ways you can yeah. find. There's jobs where you won't just be paying your bills, but you could be contributing to a community uh, or doing something in a valuable field, and you'll either be trained to do it, because nobody wants to do it. Uh, like, if you want to, for example, uh, go... Here's my recommendation, because this is what I was doing before I got this job I'm going into, is I went on the state... The Well, I wanted to move to New York, so I went on the New York State labor website, and I found a list of apprenticeships, and I actually auditioned to be a cement mason apprentice, and I got put on the wait list. Uh, I am very bad at physical labor, and so that is probably why I didn't get put in major, like, all the way. If you're uh, big and strong, uh, the biggest thing I had to do was carry a 94-pound bag of cement, like, uh, around a, a big loop, and then put it down. 
but you had to do like a series of lifting big, heavy, weird things. So if you could just lift that 90 pound thing and then you would immediately pass out afterwards, maybe not. Uh, but you, there's other apprenticeships that are not as physically demanding. Uh, and there's like almost always things in demand for it. I think the stagehand union is one of the only ones that isn't pretty much always accepting applicants. Uh, but like you could be an electrician uh, or you could be a construction worker or one of these things where you're like contributing to the infrastructure of society and rather than just like answering phones or something. Yeah, I mean, I worked as a as an electrician and a chef at various times in college, and uh, those jobs were were fun. And I never had a hard time finding work doing them. Uh, I ended up moving on because I could make more money doing computer stuff. But um, uh, computer yeah. stuff is a lot more competitive. Whereas, like you say, especially doing electrician work, I was doing it in theaters, but I also did it on some house construction stuff. And uh, yeah, they are always looking for people. I never once worked on a house construction job where they had enough people. Yeah, and those uh, are those are high-paid so. union gigs and you don't have to necessarily feel bad about what you're doing. So uh, there's resources out there. Reach out, find a career that is fulfilling to you. And if you don't have the mental capacity to do so, that's fine too. I don't want to stress you out by making you go and do something that is uh, beyond your current energy level. But, you know, uh, hang in there and, and it'll be fine. Maybe. I mean, if, if you're, gonna, you're, you're right. I you're stealing realized after the delivery of it, like, oh, it. that's pretty close. I almost <laughs> finished it too. Um, but uh, let's get into spookiest parts of Mouth Suite. Which which part? I guess spooky is maybe not the right word, but that's what we call the segment. <laughs> yeah. So I think the thing that probably was spookiest for me, I I really did like the crying. The there's a part in the game where the invisible monsters learn to emulate human crying and even though I felt like it was heavy handed um, that that crying was pretty uh, scary and then of course there's a part there's a mission you get where you need to cut yeah. cut the cake it's called um, and when you realize that the cake your the, the room where the cake is is in fact a morgue and there's a body on the table and you have to cut a piece of the body I think that was mm. probably the thing that creeped me uh, out the I most. think for me uh, it's less of a moment and more of an aspect of it the sound track overall was really unsettling, including the um, mm. I actually looked for it in the credits. The, um, the sound effects were all generated in this software that emulates uh, little 8-bit eight, eight sound chips to generate random sounds within a certain criteria, mm. and I've used that before. It's called, like, DPFX or something. Um, uh, man, it's mm -hmm. gonna drive me crazy that I can't remember what it's called right away. Uh, but that, the... It was all composed by someone who is called Rabbit Rabbit on Bandcamp. You can go find uh, their music if you played this game and like it. It would probably be nice to you know support them. Uh, but the the both both aspects of the sound design, the effects and the music, that was very effective. And you should um, if you've listened to all of this and haven't played the game, you should play it with headphones, like it recommends on the page, because otherwise it will be very very difficult. 
Yeah, they did a really good job, especially in the first-person shooter screens where you you shoot and then there's a sound effect of the yeah. monster like dissolving, I guess. Um, and it it does a nice job of of being both a sort of fantastical noise, but also a broken computer noise, which is off-putting in a different way. Um, so the those two things together, I think, yeah. it really evokes a good emotion. Yeah, uh, from and the before we move on to plugs, the sound effect software is called BFXR and is found at bfxr.net. And while while we're doing that, I found the name of the videos that I watched. If you're curious about that, the literary analysis of horror, the, the videos are on Polygon's website, and they're called okay, Friend cool. Zone. Uh, so, Matt, where can the people reach you and interact with your creative projects in a way that you would enjoy? So, I'm um, I do the podcast Seeing Reddit with Jeff, which is like this in a lot of <laughs> ways, except the opposite in every way, um, where we try to be funny instead of trying to be smart. Although we usually also try to be smarter than each other because we're all assholes but it's a fun show um and if you think that uh jeff and i are smart and funny people yeah. why uh but also you should come over and listen to that um if you want to get in touch with me you can tweet at me uh on twitter at kamikaze pilot uh, also i do a lot of game development stuff um i'm very interested in games in general and i'm currently developing tabletop games for onyx path um i'm working on their scion game line so yeah if you like tabletop games uh, and you want to play some of those i i highly recommend scion i wrote uh the world building chapter for the new upcoming book scion hero so cool i, hope you guys I love I uh, lost my copy of Scion, so maybe I'll pick that up. Uh, do you know when that launches? Uh, the 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 PDF version oh, okay. of it came out just a couple weeks ago. I think the hard copy will be being released okay, within the cool. next so, six months uh, or so. This comes out in December, audience. Please check if you... I mean, go buy the PDF, of <laughs> course, if you can read on screens. But if you're like me and you want to have a physical object to keep with all your other physical objects that you keep in your physical home for some crazy reason uh check and see if that has been released <laughs> uh i really love the scion system it's like the the game itself um i've played a bunch of different ones that run on that same system so i it's hard to know what's different between them because it's been a while but i love the the like picking dots yeah. and rolling a bunch of d10s aspect a lot yeah, I the new version of this, so uh, not to get too into it, because I know this podcast isn't about tabletop games, but I'm really excited about it because um, the we so we preserved that aspect of it, the dots and corresponding to uh, the number of dice you roll, which really simplifies things. The combat system in the game has been completely overhauled from from version two to or sorry from version one to this one. Uh, it's using a new combat system called Sardonics, which I really enjoy. Uh, and I think it's fantastic. It, it completely reimagines the way in which combat should Ooh, happen intriguing. in a tabletop game. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't want to get too deep into it, but basically instead of trading blows back and forth with your enemy, uh, all of your roles are you trying to set up a coup de gras against your enemy, so you're just trying to gain ground and advantage over them, and then you can actually strike, and that ends the combat. So every combat only really has probably one or two 
two blows in it. And the real fight is you trying to psychologically or physically, you know, outmaneuver your, your opponent. So it, it really ramps up the, the drama of combat. That in is a way that I very think smart. Really I'll, I'll be interested to play that. Um, I, you know, actually, I haven't plugged this mm-hmm. on the show. This is my last recording that I'm doing before I go into job training. Um, uh, but there's still six episodes scheduled that come out after this one. So I'll, I, I haven't talked about it on, on mm-hmm. any of those. And so you won't hear me talk about it anywhere but here. Uh, but I designed a card game with past guest Leah Patterson. And that is probably in some kind of, um, pay what you want or, uh, print and play version by now. Um, we kind of got together and did a, a day long game jam where we came up with the game. And right now here in August, we're not very far off from having a playtest copy. And after the playtest copy, we're hoping to just have one round of revisions before releasing a version that more, more people can play than just people we know personally. So keep an eye out for that, uh, on my Twitter. Yeah, no, I've decided last recording, uh, which you won't hear for another month and a half that I don't want to do Twitter anymore. We're doing mastodon.cloud slash at JK is where you can find me. I'm putting all of my thoughts on Mastodon now instead of on Twitter. I still go on Twitter occasionally if I want to get mad or see what's happening in the world. But Mastodon is pleasant in that it's just what Twitter was 10 years ago, which is people posting mundane messages and photos of their life. And that is, or, or like people yeah, copying their yeah, posts or like Facebook. jokes and stuff. <laughs> and that is exactly what I need in 2018 mm-hmm. rather than Twitter, a website that you can load up on your phone to get mad within five minutes and then put it down because you got a headache from getting so mad. Um, so follow. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, Twitter, you should Twitter actually is a maybe follow yes. this show on Twitter because I don't go on the show's Twitter account, but we also don't have very many followers. Uh, that's just at creepypodsta on Twitter. Go to the Facebook group, join that because uh, I found the best ca- the best use for Facebook is groups because they're like the message boards of old where people can start discussion topics and have chats and you can ban people for no reason if you yep. want to uh, and you can find that on Facebook you just have to search creepy podsta fan group and people post all kinds of things they'll be like hey this horror movie is coming out or uh, hey have you heard about this spooky game that kind of thing and that's a lot of fun uh, that's all that they there is to say about Mouth Suite, which thankfully gives us its own little uh, tagline here at the end. Mouth Suite, Belly Bitter. 